Do you ever feel like you're always on? What do you do when you need a moment to chill? How would you like to hit the reset button to get ready for what's next? These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nothing but nonstop hustle all the time. Sometimes you just need a moment to turn off and hit reset, and that's when you can reach for Coors Light. It's made to chill. Look, it's summertime. Transfer window is coming up. It's gonna get crazy. So if you ever just wanna, again, take a step back and relax, read the transfer rounds, read the gossip rumors, grab a Coors Light. It'll be perfect companion for all those transfer merry-go-rounds. There's only one beer out there that's literally made to chill, and that's Coors Light. The mountains on the bottles and cans even turn blue when the beer is cold. That way you always know when it's time to chill. When you need to hit reset, just open a Coors Light. It's mountain cold refreshment made to chill. Now that it's finally hot in Minnesota, I'm gonna be looking for an easy beer to drink, and Coors Light is perfect for that. It's lagered, it's cold filtered, and it's cold packaged. It's, again, made to chill. It's crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies perfect for a moment to unwind and so when you want to hit reset reach for the beer that's made to chill get coors light in the new look delivered straight to your door with drizzly or instacart coors brewing company golden colorado and as always celebrate all right so you're listening to this podcast right now london is blue and guess what we host our podcast on anchor.fm that's right if you're looking to host your own podcast this is the easiest free way to get started. This has got a content creation tool allows you to record and the podcast right from a phone. That's right, don't even need a computer, but you can do it there too. They'll also help you distribute it, which is probably the most challenging part. You don't want to have to mess with that. They got you covered. You can get it right on a Spotify and Apple Podcasts as well as any other place podcasts are found. And you know what? You can monetize it too. Make a little cash for sharing your great content with the world. It's everything you need to make a podcast all in one individual place. So you know what? Head over to your app store, download the Anchor app, or head to anchor.fm to get started if you're ready to launch your podcast and make it happen. Hi, this is Ruben off the cheek. This is William. I'm Mason Mount. You're listening to the London is Blue podcast. Welcome back, Chelsea fans, to another episode of the London is Blue podcast, your home for all things Chelsea FC. Nick, Dan, Mike, and myself cover all the match reviews from the latest Chelsea matches. We cover the team news and even throw you some exclusive interviews. Thank you already for being an awesome listener. And you know what? Let's jump right in. Welcome back, Chelsea fans, to another episode of the London is Blue podcast. We're coming at you after the season opener. The Premier League is back. There's a ton of excitement in the air. Uh, and to run through all of that, I've got Dan. No Nick, no Mike today, but we have another type of Mike. We have Mike Ryan Ruiz joining us as well. How's it going, Mike? How's it going? How's it going? (laughs) (laughs) We just got embarrassed by Manchester United 4-0 in a game that is probably one of the highest rated Premier League games in this nation's history. Uh, I'm doing all right, though. Question mark. I think that's appropriate, Dan. I, I think I'm supposed to be the rational adult and say it's week one and let's not overreact. So I'm breathing. I'm doing my breathing exercises. I spent 20 minutes looking at the ocean. So I think I'm good. Yeah. I mean, this feels like, you know, if we, we don't have ads for these, but this is where we should have the ad read for like calm or headspace or something. That's pro- <laughs> that probably would be on brand for the result today. Yeah. Yeah. This was, uh, I think. What happened today was uh, what we all feared when, you know, the club's best player and the manager and the bands all sort of started coming in. You start paying attention to what uh, neutral observers and hot take artists were saying on the Internet. And you sort of talked yourself into a more positive spin as the uh, preseason went on. And then I think we were just all just smacked in the face right now with uh, a pretty rough dose of i'm not sure this is reality but whatever it was it was rough yeah it was not pretty and like you know as i kind of teed up at the beginning it was a lot of excitement in the air heading into this one and it quickly left and it didn't come back so uh before we get into all the the good stuff what we will be talking about is why we maybe shouldn't be freaking out uh what actually went wrong in the match trying to break down some of the tactical analysis of it Uh, and what we can do to fix it. And then we'll obviously have to look at, we got to trust the youth. There's no other alternatives as of right now. Transfer window is shut. We still have another transfer ban coming up in January as it stands. So we just need to buckle in and figure out what it's going to look like. So, uh, But before we get into all that, Dan, 
We continue to get five-star reviews on Apple Podcasts, and they are amazing. Yeah, it just keeps on going. It is the constant. It's like Chelsea hitting the word work. It just keeps on continuing. Uh, at least this time, you want it versus Chelsea hitting the word work. You don't. We want to thank CPZ, HK Buff, uh, Fried Fish, 2277, Gage C. Dot, and then Frank's Fan Club, and then Rakesh. You guys all left amazing five-star reviews on Apple Podcasts. We want to shout out at the beginning of the next episode, whether you are praising your optimism or thanking us for helping you get through your summer internship, which we are happy to help do so. Leave that five-star review on Apple Podcasts. We'll get to it on the next episode. So now for the Patreon names, this is going to be a big one. We had almost 30 people join up and supporting us on Patreon recently. Uh, a lot of it due to people wanting to get into our fantasy Premier League, and there's still time because I scored about negative seven this week. So you're not really missing out if you join now. So Alex G, Alex W, Alan, Andrew, Cameron, Chad, Chase, Daniel, Dylan, George, Hussein, Jack, Jacob, Jax, Yaroslav, Jay, John, Josh, Justin, Lewis, Logan, Matt M, Matthew W, Nikhil, Richard, Rose, Scott, Silas, The High Notes. You are all amazing. And we thank you for your support. But let's go ahead now. It is match time. We're going into the Manchester United match review. It was the kickoff of the Premier League season at Old Trafford this past Sunday. Scoreline, United 4, Chelsea nothing. So getting into it, initial lineups, Dan. Run us through Frank's first lineup. Yeah, absolutely. We saw Kepa between the sticks, which was no surprise. Emerson Aspilicueta in the left, or sorry, the right back and left back positions. You had Zuma and Christensen as the center backs, with David Luiz spending his time on the bench for Arsenal this weekend. We saw Mason Mount, we saw Barkley, we saw Pedro, we saw Kovacic and Jorginho all working in midfield positions, midfield slash attack positions, and then Abraham, Tammy Abraham as the number nine gets the start up top. Substitutes included Tomori, Kennedy, Caballero, Alonso, they were all the unused subs, Pulisic, Conte, and Giroud end up being our three substitutes. And I think most of us, Mike, were a little disappointed to not see Christian start. Um, that Again, this is the Chelsea podcast that features basically Americans 99% of the time. And uh, we kind of wanted to see him start. Yeah, I expected him to start, didn't you guys? He was, I don't want to read too much into what we saw towards uh, the end of the preseason, but he was a regular starter and he was playing alongside a lot of people that we figured would make the uh, the starting 11 I kind of started getting a little nervous because there is this Wednesday Super Cup fixture and I don't really know how much we can uh, take uh, this first starting 11 um, I, I don't really know how to reconcile that with the upcoming fixture on Wednesday and what Frank Lampard's priorities are uh, one thing that I saw on on social media from Nick and, and a lot of Chelsea fans uh, was um, credit to Frank Lampard. He's easing Christian Pulisic along. And I thought that was a, a popular take. And I I was believing it initially. And then I realized, wait a second, Christian Pulisic has started for Dortmund in the Champions League. He's played in pretty big games. Mason Mount hasn't started outside of the championship. Where He's 19 years old. We're just going to take our time with Christian Pulisic, but Mason Mount, we're just going to throw him out there. So I, I started getting mad at the decision, quite honestly. Um, and that's, I'm not really sure that had any sort of impact on the game, but I'm just speaking from an American that wanted to see our best player. I mean, look, you led with emotion, but you, uh, you came in quickly with a lot of reasoning, you know? I mean, like you said, Mount is exciting, but he's been, he had a great season at Vitesse, and he's had a great season at Derby. Like Pulisic on paper has accomplished way more than Mason Mount. So you just kind of have to wonder what kind of a look Frank was maybe going with. Obviously having Barkley, Pedro, and Mount up there. But the way it went, right? And and you know, it's kinda has the same thing with fantasy. Like in week one, you're just trying to get a feel how your players gonna react, how are they gonna go out there. Uh it's a huge match. You know, the only difference I could see, Mike, is that potentially Christian doesn't have a lot of experience playing in England. But again, that that's kind of a soft like argument to hide behind. So I think that you know 
you know, having Christian Pulisic as a starter is a, is a pretty good shout. Was there any other surprises to you about the lineup? I know in our previous pods leading up to this, I didn't think Tammy Abraham was going to start. I thought he'd go for Giroud, who's just more experienced. So to me, that was one of the bigger surprises. I, I felt like um, part of the reason why I felt like Tammy Abraham was going to start was at Super Cup. It, for better or worse, Olivier Giroud has really carved out this role as the uh, the cup striker. So I, I just assumed Giroud was just going to start Wednesday in Turkey and Tammy Abraham, who was gifted the number nine by Frank Lampard, trusted, I should say, with that number nine. And um, we all know the legacy that that number carries, for better or worse, uh, with Chelsea. And he was game for the challenge. And there were good, there was good and bad with Tammy Abraham. I do miss – look, you definitely saw the youth, right? It was in a couple moments, a couple chances that you think a more seasoned player might handle things differently. I'm not really sure what Mount was doing when he had that wide-open opportunity inside the box, and it defied the laws of gravity, really. I don't really know – was he trying to cross it? Was he trying to sweep it, like, with his left – I'm not really sure how that happened. And Tammy Abraham – not having the strength of certainly not of a Diego Costa or some of the other strikers that we've seen, not even of a Olivier Giroud and that turning directly in a goal could have been a foul was sort of hoping that might get barred and said it turns into a full counter. And that was two times in this match against Manchester United where something could have been called a foul. Another Zuma opportunity inside the box doesn't go our way. Counterattack Manchester United at their best score a goal within seconds right after that and I feel like Manchester United had five chances and they scored on four of them that's actually exactly it so Chelsea some of the top line stats 54% possession uh they had 18 shots seven on goal United 11 shots five on goal so yes (laughs) they converted 80% of their shots on goal which is pretty fantastic um you know and then we had Four cautions to their three, which, again, kind of is what it is. Um, Dan, as we look at the tweet we have here in the script, so this is DPZ from We Ain't Got No History retweeted in our timeline, but we all know Kaylee Graphics really well. Uh, and he's talking about the expected goals chart, the map from this match. I know it's 4 nothing on paper, but if you want to try to open the door for silver linings early in this podcast... <laughs> This is a way to do that. Sure. I mean, again, there were a lot of shots. There were shots on target for both teams. Expected goals for United was closer to 1.7 plus the penalty, whereas Chelsea was at 0.9, which, again, you hit the woodwork twice. You fumble a bit of a shot. There's There were positives. I think that's what we kind of need to get into is that ultimately, yes, we lost. Yes, it was embarrassing yes it was a terrible way to open the season but we have only played one uh out of the 38 matches and we have 37 left to go even though that means that right now we are in the relegation zone and it also means that we are i believe nine goals behind brighton in terms of our total opportunity to qualify for the champions league (laughs) london is relegated not blue (laughs) it's watford and west ham and chelsea oh my gosh look the table to begin the season is always wonky but my crying the goal difference everything that happened it's like if it could have gone united's way a couple deflected goals um you know the penalty you know just that and i heard in the commentary arlo white saying that was zuma's first ever foul committed for a penalty of course it was of course it was on opening day. Of course it was after he was a rock star for Everson last year. It just, no breaks really went Chelsea's way. And that was kind of the theme today. Yeah. Uh, well, I, we can do a few minutes on Zuma. I'd rather not Gary, get carried away right now and just concentrate on the goal differential because I do think it, it matters. Yes, I do kind of feel like the league was lost today because we're nine goals back in Manchester City. Perhaps I should recalibrate my expectations, but fellas... I don't think this season's about finishing top of the table. Uh, I think right now we should probably recalibrate any expectations and hope for a top four, which is certainly still within the realm of possibility. And even if the most optimistic of Chelsea fans can obviously chart a course to the top of the, the table, but uh, it, that this comes back to bite people. We saw how close the league came to outside of the top two 
Uh, well, the top two were close in their own regard, but everybody else was sort of log jammed and goal differential really could have come back to bite us. And thankfully, we took care of business against the likes of Crystal Palace. But uh, I think goal differential is really going to be important in this season because it's a lot of the same. You, you have a clear top two in this league and several other teams are jockeying for position in Europe. And you can't be putting yourself in, in holes like this. We saw it all too often last year. It was a lot of deja vu, even though the squad's totally different. We're hitting the woodwork. We have one or two things go south, and then all of a sudden we're staring at a, a multi-goal uh, deficit, playing into another team's strengths. And these were things that aren't supposed to carry over year after year, but it's just sort of the domain of Chelsea here. Dan, oh, I, you know, I like I was talking about at the very beginning, there's a lot of optimism running into the season you know, you and I specifically saying Chelsea top four, no problem. Nick being less optimistic of it. After seeing, <laughs> surprise, surprise alert here. I guess in your opinion, it's only one match. But kind of like what Mike Ryan is saying here, do we need to maybe come down on our expectations as to not be that guy who calls into BBC saying Lampard needs to be sacked? Uh, that guy also said something else really weird too. I don't remember what it was, but that again, that's not why you come to listen to this show. If you came to listen to this show for that reason, I regret to inform you that the Frank Lampard optimism express is still running at, uh, you know what? It had a, a little stop at the station, you know, to, to refuel, to, uh, get some baggage, check back onto the train, but it's going to be taken off from the station again, come Wednesday. And that's, that's kind of where we're at. I, I think anyone who is thinking that this season was a top one or two contention against Man City and Liverpool projects that are three, four, five plus seasons into being where they are today, it, as Chelsea has continued to be a club that sells its best players or sells players at maximum value as a primary part of their financial strategy at the moment, and then loses Eden Hazard is probably not appropriately calibrated with where the club is at today. And so I think anything where people are looking at today, I mean, it's just it's it's overreaction. You know, we were at the theater of dreams, and now the reaction is overreaction theater, and people are just getting a little too uh, pumped up or fueled up with these ideas that the season is is doomed from game week one, which I don't think that's the case because it's not necessarily a season to go be champions; it's a season to figure out. Do we have players that we can actually develop and become first-team starters for Chelsea? Do we have players who become squad depth? And when we are able to sign players again, can we go out and sign the best players that are going to cost a ton of money because we know we've developed a couple of good players that can you know, add value to the team, Mike? I, mean, I, I don't think anyone who's telling you that this, that, that this is an absolute failure already is, you know, just, you, know you shouldn't listen to them. Bad, bad opinions to listen to. It, it's easy to start getting spooked right now, especially staring at another transfer window as it stands right now in which uh, there's a ban against you. But I, I do think it's important for us to remember, and I had to remind myself of this, even the Chelsea starting 11 that took the pitch today, that's really not what any of us figure is going to be the starting 11. Even a couple weeks from now, when you have guys like Rudiger, look at Look, Zuma had a, a fairly disastrous first half. I had flashbacks to a couple of years ago where every game sort of came down to whether or not Kirk Zuma was going to make the mistake. And he was going to make the mistake. It was just whether or not you could survive it. We couldn't survive it this time. But you imagine Reese James also uh, being one of the backs. That's going to cause some reshuffling and help some of the depth issues. Even guys like Callum Hudson-Odoi. And if you're uh, a true optimist, Maybe Ruben Loftus-Cheeks uh, comes back at some point in the winter and all of a sudden you have more of an end product. And Golo Kante will obviously be a fixture of the starting 11. I think we all assume you're not going to have the defensive lapses throughout the year. At least I don't think you are when you have guys like Rudiger and Golo Kante and Reese James uh, sort of help fortifying that starting 11. Now, now we're really getting into the positives that we can take from this match is that this lineup isn't going to be what we end the season with, most likely. Uh, we talk about the fact that, you know, statistically, this is our worst loss 
you know, since we lost seven to two on opening day back in 1978, right? This is the biggest loss to Manchester United at any point since Matt, Sir Matt Busby was in charge of Manchester United in 1965. But again, all that doesn't really matter if things change. And that's the biggest thing. Honestly, I'd even forgotten about the Wednesday match. So the fact that Frank has to put some level of importance on that, he can't just go in only thinking about Manchester United. Then he have to go back and go to Leicester. Well, Leicester's not going to be easy as well. Um, so it, there, it's definitely not straightforward and simple, and he's got to be very careful managing fitness of guys. And I thought he put it really well in his pre-match presser. They are fit. They are not match fit. So they're healthy. They can play, but they're not fit to play the match. So he has to be really careful with that to make sure that, you know, you don't put N'Golo in and then he's out for two months, which is, yes, I know I said that. But anyways, we move on. So, Dan, you tweeted some some positive things about Conte getting minutes again. <laughs> Rudiger will be back very, very soon. Hudson Doyle is back at training already. Reese James will complete, compete for the right-back spot. And Anthony Taylor can't officiate all of our matches. So that was your summation <laughs> of the match. Yeah, pre- pretty much what Mike Ryan Reese just said there outside of the Anthony Taylor comment, which just had to be said because he was a little farcical today. And I don't want to spend too much time on it because, you know, that that's just you know we also have to make our opportunities count and so as much as we can be upset with an official uh let's look inward first and figure out the problems we can fix and yeah i think there there are reasons to be excited when we have reese james competing with aspilicueta for the right back position that's something to get excited about when you add competition at the center back position for both christensen and zuma with rudiger returning that's something to be excited about hudson adoy Adding additional competition for the likes of Pedro and William is exciting. Conte and Kovacic pairing for 90 full minutes versus the Jorginho-Kovacic experiment is very, very exciting and appealing to me. Um, So there's a lot to be positive around. And I, I think Frank was asked on Sky Sports after the match, and he was talking about just how he didn't want to talk about transfers. He didn't want to talk about the ban. He wanted to talk about the fact that there were there were four mistakes, four individual mistakes that caused the result today, and that he really kind of felt like, you know, he, he said it wasn't a fair end result, even though that's kind of what the result on paper was today, and that ultimately there are these players who are coming back and will give us a starting 11 that is more in line with what he wants to accomplish, Mike. And I think that's where I'm pulling a lot of my excitement. I'm, I'm appreciating the realism, Frank, I'm appreciating the honesty of the moment to take it on the chin, even though it it fucking hurts. And but I, it's enough to get me excited about what what this actually what the potential of this can be when we get all the right chess pieces on the board. Look, I don't know how much it actually means for winning and his legacy here as manager. His legacy as a club legend is already set, and there's nothing about his time as manager that can uh, tarnish that, right? But I found it ultra refreshing especially after our recent history to be able to have a manager who could actually put a rational voice to what was going out there on the field look Maurizio Sarri just I know that there was a language barrier too but he didn't really have much time for the media and it's not really part of Frank Lampard's job to give such a great post-game match interview to help me uh, feel a lot better about a match, but I really appreciate having a manager that could soothe me the way that Frank Lampard did post game today. And to a degree, he was right. I really think they had five chances. We saw this all throughout the preseason. Playing the ball to Kurzuma's feet is going to be a problem. It's just not a strength. Now, that's not something that that you close the door on him and say he's done. We saw it with Christensen. Christensen made tremendous improvements under Maurizio Sarri playing the ball at his feet to the point now you absolutely trust him. Kurt Zuma still has to come a long way when it comes to playing the ball at his feet. We dodged one before he surrendered the penalty kick. Uh, It turned into a chance for Manchester United. They didn't do anything with it. We really, especially Frank, we're Chelsea fans. Many of those trophies in that cabinet are built on the counterattacking philosophy that just did Chelsea in right now. I thought Manchester United played a, a fairly brilliant game. Uh, yes, Chelsea squandered some opportunities. Yes, they beat the keeper twice and hit woodwork. 
if you play that game several other times, it probably goes a different way. But Manchester United absolutely capitalized on their chances. And I, as a Chelsea fan, cannot hate on them for doing that because that's what this recent history was built on. Right. And that's what we're hoping Chelsea will kind of look like. Um, that's, you know, that's what the fans want. They want that that uh, bite from Lampard. You know, I think... I thought his substitutions were were fine. You know, he brought on attacking people. I thought Tammy was struggling quite a bit. Um, and the fact that he brought off Barkley, okay, fine. I mean, fine, maybe the right decision. You know, we don't again, we don't know fitness levels. Uh, and then to bring Conte on, I mean, that was that was the best one. But um, he did just kind of seem to sit and just accept it in the match instead of tweaking too many things. Again, I think the, these are growing moments for him. And so in the match, I get a little bit nervous. But then when he comes out with the comments afterward where he's had time to process it and think about things, and he says what he says, now I'm, now I'm more confident. I feel like, all right, th- this isn't beyond him. This isn't something that he can't handle. Uh, and he's going to grow with it. Just like we're expecting Zuma and Reese James and Tammy and Mason and Barkley and Pulisic and, all, and everyone to grow throughout the season – Frank is going to grow just as much, if not more, as as these guys too, which is kind of it's you know it's good to see. I wanted to ask you guys specifically about the subs. I just really like Pedro coming off off the bench. I think he's a really effective sub, and this ties directly into the Pulisic decision. And we're Americans, and this is probably not that big of a storyline uh, across the pond. And I understand that. Um, I just felt like. They they could have done creative things with Christian Pulisic's speed down the flank. Whether it's we saw this a couple of times last year, where they would change the wingers, uh, flip flop sides, maybe take advantage of that speed discrepancy between him and Luke Shaw. I was really begging for that, um, as opposed to just being married to a system. Because Lord knows we got a healthy dose of that last year, where you wouldn't change uh, depending on the opponent. I thought they were susceptible to a really fast wing player and it's a, a missed opportunity. Unfortunately, I think I, I would agree with that. I think what I struggled with watching was Pedro, Tammy and Barkley really struggled to get on the same page with one another in terms of passing and connecting play. I think Barkley was a little alarming with some of this, the, the weight on his passes they were a little slow when they kind of were making movement very easy for the United defense to kind of capitalize on those. Pedro was running, but as we've seen, sometimes he can continue running and not have the right type of intent to move it forward appropriately. He'll try to cut back three or four times to continue carrying the ball at his feet. Uh, I would actually say, I think Tammy did a better job holding up than I thought he was going to in this match. Uh, I'm, I'm disappointed that the foul wasn't called off that, launch the second goal because I actually think he was bodying up Maguire, which is a pretty tough ask, I think, for any center forward in the Premier League. I think that's a really tall order and basically got to the point where he was still able to keep the ball at certain times, just wasn't always getting the ball. Did have those, you know, kind of that one shot that really was just off the crossbar, probably should have had a goal today. Um, So I think Pulisic coming on should have really offered a little bit more of that width should have kind of allowed us to get a little bit wider and kind of pull United out of position because we were seeing when Mount was moving forward, you were getting a a lane for Tammy to kind of run into because the center backs were basically pulled apart like string cheese. I mean, it was like, you know, just super, there were, there were ways to get through that. And you would have liked to see that continue into the second half. But I think when you saw Drew was not making the same type of runs that Tammy was making and so Pulisic was, I think, a little let down by what was actually happening around him on the pitch. There were a couple of moments in this match, though, where you felt like Tammy might have let up early in runs, mm-hmm. uh, especially early on when I felt like Chelsea really had Manchester United on the ropes. There were two goals that he missed by a step. And it's not his closing speed that was the issue. It was really him not being able to read the play developing at the very, at the very start of the play. I, that might come with time and playing with guys like Pedro, like knowing, oh, Pedro's actually going to get to that ball and he'll <laughs> play it in. So let me not just assume he's not going to play it to me. Uh, I think there were things that he was just sort of programmed during his time with uh, Swansea and Aston Villa. <laughs> like those aren't world-class players that are going to be able to get to certain balls. 
and, and make crosses like they did. And it seemed as though he sort of rested on his laurels a little yeah. bit. Yeah, no, I, I would agree with that. I think in that, but that goes back to like the whole like excitement and promise behind it is that ultimately, you know, yes, was there opportunity for Tammy to do things differently? Absolutely. Is it a coachable thing? 100%. It's not a, this is a deficiency in his game. It's something that we actually can build upon Brandon for the, you know, 37 remaining game weeks of the Premier League and every other competition moving forward. Yeah, I think this is a good time before we transition to what we're wrong and how to fix it, because I we're definitely knocking on that door. Let's go ahead and take a quick ad break. And when we're back, uh, that's exactly what we're, we're going to do. So a huge thank you to these sponsors. All right, so now transitioning back in to uh, what went wrong and can we fix any of it? Obviously, not us personally. Let's let's be honest. But uh, you know, as a club, as a team. So we've talked about Newman before on Twitter. Nami Footy, N O M I F O T Y. Check him out. Uh, he brought up a concern from Frank Lampard's time at Derby about the gap between his backline and his midfield and the fact that there can tend there tends to be a lot of space. And he hasn't even done his video. It'll drop the day you're listening to this on Monday. But he posted some screenshots right out the gate of some examples of that imbalance that he had said that we should look out for. Uh, there's one on here, Mike Ryan. You You don't even see the defenders. You see 55 yards of this pitch, and there are no defenders in sight. And it just goes to show that um united had a ton of space to run at our back line and everyone knows if you, if attackers are running at your defenders and have to turn and run towards their own goal that's not a good situation to be in uh tactically look uh, it's going to take time for this system i still think frank lampard you saw during the preseason he was still tinkering with formations i'm not exactly sure he knows what he wants to finish the season with and it would be unfair for us to just hold up what he did at Derby because he's still finding his way as manager. I do think, and this may be a simple fix guys, and you guys are the rational ones, but (laughs) (laughs) I I'm going to try to be as rational as I can. I think the cure for what ails Chelsea specifically to what we saw today is just getting players back healthy. I think there's a direct correlation between the sub options they were suboptimal, but really, what else was Frank Lampard supposed to do today outside of maybe start Christian Pulisic and take advantage of some slow ba- uh, backs for Manchester United? It, all, all of what ails this team is helped by improved depth. Just because you have Reese James and you're starting 11 doesn't mean you have to say goodbye to Aspilicueta. Aspilicueta is a fairly versatile defender. We've seen him in the past play at center back, and that's just another option that this club has. In Golo Conte, yes. From that screen cap, you see such a huge space between the midfield and the defenders. Guess who usually makes up that space on our team? N'Golo Conte. That's when he's at his absolute best. And yeah, while it's not ideal, name a better player at it. Uh, you can't. It's uh, it's very hard to accomplish that. I think what I, I hope we see with that is almost like this transition. If you get Kovacic and Conte paired together really as that middle who can provide that protection in front of that back defensive four. I mean, ultimately, you're going to have the backs, uh, at least the left back and right back, pushing up to really transition and be kind of the interchange as part of the attack. You're going to see Reese James and most likely Emerson, who I thought had a really good game, um, end up providing some additional attacking support. But you're going to have a front four of someone like a Tammy, a Callum, a Mason, and a Pulisic just hopefully running riot with you know really the protection that should be offered by Kovacic and Conte that we're not getting out of Jorginho, who, again, yes, he made some great blocks. He had a couple good tackles, had a really great tactical foul to stop another attack. Like, there, there's credit for him. Um, however, his pace and his speed relative to a Kovacic and a Conte, if you're going to you know, really have a protection and kind of a, a, a pairing that can go box to box for 90 minutes. That is not Jorginho's game. I'm glad. I'm sorry. I don't mean to cut you off. I'm glad you mentioned the tactical foul, but I do think Jorginho's pace, he plays himself into having to make these tactical fouls because mm-hmm. uh, of the lack of speed there. I'm so glad that you mentioned uh, Emerson Palmieri's game because I thought he was really good today. And Kovacic outside of uh, the Europa league final is 
maybe a top five Kovacic performance that I've seen from him in a blue shirt. I thought he was really good today. I'd agree with both of those. Um, and it's so great to see that from Emerson. I mean, lashing those shots, getting into dangerous positions. And he's, and again, he's so athletic when he defends. Um, he, you know, depth is definitely going to be important for this team. I think that's still part of it is you're working on limited time. You're working on limited numbers and you have to manage um, their energy levels so that they can go into these matches, you know, 100% ready to go physically. So I get it. And I think that's the hope, right? Is it, look, if, if no, not to take anything away from Newman, but if he sees these, I think if us as casual fans is, you know, Frank and his team, Joe and Jody and all of them know. Okay. So now it's just, how do we start to change things? What is the reaction, right? What are the adjustments the team makes? And I think that's what's really important. Everyone wants to say, change, you know, well, you know, who needs to be dropped? Like, I'm not going to put Zoom on blast right now. I'm going to give him some time. And, that, and you know what? Every fan, we said that this summer, will give Frank time. Well, we have to give the players time too. Um, and I think that that's important. If, you know, a month later, we're still making the same mistake. Zuma's still averaging a penalty, a game given up. Yeah, that's a problem, right? But if he doesn't, you know, if we do give them time, if we do give them patience, I think a lot of these players will grow up into it. You know, and, and this is funny. Like, NBC was so excited to show the graphic, Dan, that United had the youngest squad in the Premier League of the weekend so far. And I think we are fourth. So we are yep. very high up there as well. Um, but that's a big part of it. Like talk us through Chelsea have a young team, but we also have a lot of quality in that young team. And just like us, I was a lot dumber when I 10, 15 years ago than I am today. Cause I've learned stuff. I've made mistakes and I've learned it's the same thing. Thank God. I didn't have tens of millions of people watching me. Um, back then, Mike Ryan, you know, I'm, I'm sure you lived a little bit tighter of a life than I did if you know, but, uh, <laughs> We, we've got some exp- some mistakes to be made out there. <laughs> yeah, I, and yes, there, there, there are certain things that you can chalk, into, uh, chalk up to lack of experience. But you know what? David Luiz was a fairly experienced player. Kurt Zuma's played soccer for a very long time, and I still see Kurt Zuma making some of the same mistakes. I'm old enough to remember Kurt Zuma's first go-around with this club. I remember that experience. <laughs> Okay, let's not pretend like he was flawless. He was a deer on ice at times. <laughs> a, a lot of it can be rationalized by saying, yeah, Mason Mount's 19 years old. Okay, but they, they're 19 years, uh, 19 year old players that don't uh, often make those mistakes either. I, I, I do think this is a club that's still learning how to play with each other. A lot of loanies coming back, a lot of people that were on different clubs. And they're still learning their way. Uh, and I think that the best cover for that as players make mental mistakes is N'Golo Conte. And he wasn't out there today outside of uh, him working himself back into fitness, coming off the bench as a sub. He buys you a lot in terms of patience with others and letting others grow and make those mistakes and learn through them without it breaking your back. He wasn't out there to erase some of these. Yeah, I think that's a really smart point. And I think you know, we talked about Kovacic and Conte earlier. The moment you get the two of them back in together, you know, they have the pace to really kind of move in between that the base of the attack and the front of the defense pretty quickly. And that's going to give a lot of cover. But to that larger point of trust, you know, the runs that Tammy's making where he's potentially not knowing if the ball is going to be there. Emerson maybe being pulled out of position or having to kind of run across because our defenders are a little bit out of sorts. Uh, Aspilqueta maybe being in a little bit of the wrong position today. Like that, There was just so much where we didn't look like we were fully in sync, especially after the penalty. I mean, we looked brilliant for the first 15, 16 minutes, and the moment the penalty happens, really there's a mentality shift in what we're allowing – united to get away with what we're allowing them to do and then in the second half they start playing basically counterattack football and we really struggle with a couple of brilliant passes from paul pogba just absolutely shredded through where our defense was at times and i I think ultimately there there is opportunity to fix it it's going to be about getting collective minutes together it's going to be about establishing who's our back four 
and getting the minutes together so they can build up the trust. It's getting who's going to be the, you know, Kovacic and Conte have to be that two. Who's going to be the three and who's going to be the one so that they can get the appropriate amount of minutes, Mike, so that they start to gel because right now they are just, you know, they're, they're water that was just put in the freezer. Like they are not solid at all. They're not solid. And I don't want to ride these guys too much because maybe their destiny for this year's is not exactly the role that you saw them in today. Mason Mount, obviously, a lot of Chelsea fans really excited about him. Maybe he's not, uh, maybe it's not written in the stars for him to be counted on to the degree he was counted on today. We're saying how it's not fair for Christian Pulisic. It's certainly not fair for a 19-year-old Mason Mount. Just being able to know that by season's end, that midfield will have, with regular dependency, hopefully, especially if RLC comes back to full fitness, Calm Hudson-Odoi, Ruben Loftus-Cheek, N'Golo Kante, these are proven entities. And you don't have to hinge your entire season on the hopes of whether or not Mason Mount can survive a, a trial by fire. Yep, I, you're right. And I think that's kind of the exciting and unknown parts of it. Um, at at OptiChels says, 19, the number of players who have been at the Chelsea Academy have played 22,445 Premier League minutes for the other 19 teams last season, the highest contribution from any academy, finest, period. So that means we had 19 players, uh, or we had we just had academy players playing at 19 of the other teams last season and racked up a shit ton of minutes. Number then, one, number one. <laughs> <laughs> well, right. I mean, we're we're fueling other people's success. We want to bring that in-house. So, you know, the good news is that other Chelsea Academy graduates and players are having success in the Premier League other teams. They should be able to have success here as well. And then our friend Nisar Kinsa uh, on Goal.com talking about Mason Mount's debut, right? So he says two shots, two on target, four key passes, seven crosses, 81.6% pass accuracy. So the, the kid had a good day out. And I think that, again, these are the, the signs that we want to take leading into it. But, I mean, make no mistake, right? Like, this sucks. Um, from a result standpoint, barring any injuries, it's probably the worst result we could have had uh, today. And I think that that's what's uh, really troubling, unfortunately. And for me, you know, we just have to make sure that we don't get O-laid off the pitch like that again this season that having that at the end of the match for me like as a fan is one of the things that got me the most um heated i'd say and frustrated just it was not the look we wanted um positive side is you know there were still players chasing the ball down trying to make an impact you know in the 88th minute they weren't going to let they weren't going to go down without a fight dan i think that's the type of character and the things that fans look for and hope for yeah yeah and i I know um, and I want to turn this over to Mike in a second because I think we could talk a little bit more about Mason Mount. I actually think he had a strong game overall. And I mean, he has, so he has played at Old Trafford before when Derby went there under Frank last season, um, end up going through on penalties in the uh, in one of the cups. So, you know, he's had a chance to to be at that moment before in Old Trafford, understands what it's like to play there. I, I think a little let down by the decision-making just in front of goal today, even though the shot was on target. Uh, you know, one of them definitely gave um, De Gea a little bit more of a pause because it kind of just moved weird in the air, and he had to kind of palm it and then grab it. So I, I think what I'd like to see from him in the next game is just a little bit more decisiveness, a little bit more willingness to run forward. Um I, I do think, because we've been talking about this Mount versus Barkley kind of conversation over the past couple weeks, um, based on the evidence today, if I'm drafting a starting lineup for the next match, you know, I'm not putting Barkley in. I'm putting Mount in the 10. I'm putting Pulisic and Pedro on the wings, and I'm letting it run because at least I know that I can trust Mason Mount to deliver the pass appropriately and weight it the right way that Barkley just did not do effectively. And I think that's what we're going to see a lot of this season is you're going to see opportunity for players like Mason to show that he's capable of contributing. And you might see players like Barkley, who was for all intents and purposes, like the king of preseason coming in and really just not rising to the occasion. And I think that's where, 
you know, I, I'd love to hear because I, I feel like maybe you had a different take on the Mason performance today, Ryan, uh, Mike Ryan. Well, I, I appreciate your perspective and you've helped change my position. You guys are always good <laughs> about that because, dude, that, that one opportunity he had in the box, it was such a sitter. It was honestly the best opportunity they had all game. And to not get a shot on, on target from that was just uh, bewildering. But it was just, man, sometimes it, it's just that kind of game. Look, poor Keppa. I, was it half the goals that we allowed took a deflection at least mm -hmm. um, very difficult deflections on a goalkeeper. We hit the woodwork twice. It, when things are cooking for you, you get the deflections going your way uh, the way Manchester United had. Um, those are excellent points about Mason Mount. Um, I don't, I'm not really sure what I'm doing there. Um, maybe it's just an American bias because a 20 year old was brought along <laughs> a lot softer, but that was, that's an excellent point about him playing at Old Trafford last year in, in that cup tie. So, yeah, Mason Mount, outside of that one horrific squandered opportunity, he was uh, impressive for a 19-year-old making his first-team debut with this club. Well, and I think, if, if anything, you know, that's the type of, again, opportunity. Like, that's probably not going to – like, you repeat this game 10 times over. He's not fumbling that ball 10 times, you know. And, and if anything – you know, Pulisic potentially in place of Pedro at the beginning would have been really tasty to see because you would have had two players in Mount and Pulisic who can really press with intention. Again, Pedro has won pretty much everything. He always offers up the most incredible goal from just the absolute most absurd angle every couple matches. But, you know, it's whack-a-mole, right? Like it's a pop-up and he occasionally does it and then he kind of goes back down to a, a a good standard of play that is better than some players we've had previously, but is never going to rise to where if they get the opportunity this season, a Mason and a Pulisic can offer for the rest of their careers because they are kind of in an ascendancy where Pedro's in a little bit of the the slow and gradual decline. That's an excellent point. Brandon, what do you make of the uh, the shot that Pedro took outside the box where he, uh, he could have played the ball to Tammy Abraham? And I think all of us might have collectively. I, I know I was at the bar with a bunch of Chelsea supporters screaming, play the ball to Tammy. But then he stepped back and goes off his left. And we've seen it a few times with Pedro where he scores a, a wonder strike outside the box. And after the dust settled and it didn't result in a goal, I said, you know what? I'm all right with that because I've seen him make that shot. But would you have preferred to see him play the ball to Tammy a little bit more? Right. So in that situation, he's so confident in his left foot. But I thought it was such a good run from Tammy to find space. He knew that the center backs had to stay tight because they had to step to the ball. Pedro shot. Um, you know, at the end of the day, if it goes in, it's not a wrong decision. It didn't. And so you kind of just wonder, you know, if he could have gotten it to Tammy, I think everyone would agree that that is a way better chance for Tammy to score no matter what foot he's on than Pedro on his left cutting in. Um, so I I saw it too, and I, you know, but we didn't have the angle. Maybe the defense is set up right and he couldn't really get it to him. So because he kind of stopped and and let it. Um, you know, and, and kind of let the play develop, nothing moved. And then he took his shot. So, um, you know, but he, Pedro was doing that a lot today. You could tell he was really trying to take on a lot of the ownership offensively today. And I think, you know, he, he probably had the most shots in the match if we, if we went and looked at the stats, which I haven't. Um, and so, yeah, I think, I hope it's not a trust issue because if it's trust issue, we're in trouble. If he would rather shoot from outside the box than play it to Tammy's feet inside the box, um, that would be that'd be a little concerning. Guys, there's another thing that we haven't even really considered as we talk about all these injuries. Um, one of the things that we just got frustrated with was perhaps a player not playing the pass, doing a step over and, and trying to strike from outside. <laughs> Williams coming back into the squad. How does that figure with uh, Frank Lampard's uh, attacking philosophy? Oh man, that's going to be interesting. Um, yeah, I'm not super thrilled. I think yeah, he, to me, is the stopgap player till Callum becomes healthy. And then you hopefully have Callum, Mason potentially, and Pulisic as the three that offer some attacking presence uh, behind Tammy Abraham, Mishi, Giroud, whoever's up top. I, I think that's kind of where 
you start to find real value. I think Mason has shown at least, you know, his time at Derby and, uh, you know, a little bit during preseason that he's capable of actually kicking a corner ball past the first man, which is just apparently a skill. And, you know, I think, you know, William, obviously a servant of the club, I think can score some really good ball, uh, dead ball opportunities. Definitely is able to do forward and backwards play. So I think that's kind of interesting because, you know, if we were kind of countering a little bit more, that would offer value. But he does not make the first pass very quickly, Mike. I think we all can agree that sometimes he holds the ball too long. And I I don't that does not mesh with what Frank is trying to do. And it's going to be interesting to see if he will take the coaching or if he will try to be to freestyle essentially or freelance when he's playing on the pitch. Yeah. And William uh, being a player that has had tenure here. And I think no one's really spoken on it on, on public record about what happened with David Luiz, but I don't think Frank Lampard using that as an example is going to shy away from telling an established player. They don't figure into his plans. I don't want to make that assumption because as we've mentioned on this pod, Frank Lampard is still learning his way and can still evolve and doesn't have all the weapons uh, at his disposal just yet. But certainly curious things are ahead because I was guilty of totally forgetting William figured into the plans this season. It's easy to forget because he hasn't been a part of any of the preseason games. So that is yet another option at the very least uh, when when we try to break down some of the decisions when it comes to subbing in. That's another option he has on the bench at the very least. Yeah, you know, yeah, the David Louise one was the, you know, I kind of said this on our little emergency pod. It's the is the first big decision of Frank's probably management career at Chelsea. Maybe you could even rewind and say just the the people he kept on the squad is probably the bigger one. Um, but it's uh, it doesn't matter anymore. He's not here, and we have to figure out what we what we're gonna do about it and how we can try to you know, cope with it going forward, you know, huge opportunity for Tamori now, you know, he's obviously a a big winner in that whole thing um, because there will be minutes for him to play without a, without a doubt, especially while we're waiting on Rudiger to get back to full fitness. So um, yeah, we'll kind of see how it goes. Kind of with that being said, you know, I I feel like we touched on a lot of the stuff without getting caught up in the downward spiral that could be uh, the reaction from this match. And I totally I think that there's value to that one. You know, I have my concerns uh, and my frustrations that I talked about, but we, I, I just want to be careful that we don't, you know, get, become unproductive with the podcast. So, uh, Dan, you did put out a man of the match, interestingly enough. It was very hard um, because it probably should have been someone like Paul Pogba for the way he played for United today would probably be the actual man of the match. I, I was play. counting on him checking out, Dan. He didn't check out. He, he didn't. He was supposed to check out on Manchester United. That's how these things go with Paul Pogba. No, he actually came to play, it, you know, which is weird. I just wasn't anticipating it. Anyway, uh, you know, no one no one expects the Spanish Inquisition. Um, so... Emerson, Kovacic, 27 minutes of N'Golo Conte and other, which could have been Mason Mount. I got some people tweeting at me for Jorginho. Don't understand that one as our man of the match. But Emerson with 52%, Kovacic with 19, 27 minutes of N'Golo Conte, 16. So if you extrapolate that over the full match, he probably would win. Uh, and then other with 12% with some assorted votes. So I, I think Emerson, though, um, offered a lot, had two shots, two actual ones that forced De Gea into a save, which was nice to see. He was being asked to do a lot, especially as you know he was partnered with Zuma on that left-hand side, and there was a little bit of a struggle there today. So, And and you also were seeing the midfielders pulled out of position, so he was having to kind of go back and cover for that, which didn't necessarily put him always in the best position. But I thought across all areas of the pitch, he was doing a good job, actually was able to get by uh, Juan Basaka once or twice, which is not an easy ask either. So, yeah, I, I think that's fair, Mike. Yeah, I uh, I agree. Kovacic, it's probably a little closer for me, um, but the, the chances that uh, actually making David De Gea work, it just seemed as though almost everybody else was just, they were on target, but they were too on target. <laughs> so we were either beating the keeper, hitting the post, or just David De Gea had to make just a routine save. Uh, Palmieri was really the only one that was 
Emerson Palmieri was really the only one that was testing David uh, De Gea today. Kovacic, I was just impressed with the increased responsibility, obviously, with N'Golo Kante out. Um, we needed Kovacic to be an absolute star in his role. And while he didn't uh, create or feature in any sort of goals, I think defensively he showed you that he can do exactly what this club needs of him. So I was... I think that's the main takeaway is two guys really asserting themselves with the opportunities that they were given here because those are guys that are, are in competitions for those spots, no doubt. And it was good to see them rise to the uh, the occasion. The other shout for name on here that I didn't put in and we didn't really talk about a whole lot, which actually I think helps to create the point, is that I actually think Christensen under the radar had a, a much better game than I think people were generally expecting. I mean, I think when you looked at the depth chart heading into the season, a lot of people were like, oh, you know, Zuma, Rudiger, Christensen, you know, Louise leaves. That obviously means that the ball playing center back is going to be someone in the vein of a Christensen. And I think, you know, he made some good challenges. He actually got up in the box and, and took away a couple balls. Um, yeah, I, I generally I was, you know, more positive on him in this match than, you know, either, you know, uh, Aspilicueta or Zuma. I mean, again, relative in, in relative terms, they had pretty pretty abject, abjectly poor performances to their standards. So it, that also helps make Christensen look a little bit better. But I, like I think generally, Christensen had a, had a pretty positive game and shows that there's something good to build on there. I, I totally agree, and uh, I think uh, one thing that we should probably do, as you kind of tipped your hat a little bit to Paul Pogba, uh, Manchester United was good today. Um, probably better. I know that there were certainly some things that Chelsea could have done that could have changed certainly the scoreline, but I, I think uh, the addition of Maguire was good. I think they address a lot of the concerns on that back line. Um, while I still like Chelsea to finish ahead of them, and I'm going to be laughed out of several rooms uh, with that take on the uh, uh, after a 4-0 whooping that we just saw on television. Uh, I think it's going to be a lot tighter. I was sort of counting them out, Manchester United. I thought that um, with Paul Pogba checking out, trying to force a move, this team was headed possibly for another disastrous season uh, and a regrettable contract extension. And at least for one match day, they're shutting me up. Well, I mean, they also made sure to get Lukaku away, which absolutely he would have squandered a couple of those chances over the top. So... I think they're the beneficiary of addition by subtraction, and that uh, is not something you want to see when Martial, who's a pretty clinical goal scorer, in addition to Marcus Rashford as well. Yeah, it was it was super annoying. Uh, obviously, that they came out and and had a good match against us when we really could have used a Brighton, you know, or a Norwich, but it wasn't it. So uh, the fast start to the season continues. Um, Silly table time as it stands. City in first, United in second, Liverpool third, Brighton and Hove Albion fourth. Burnley fifth, Spurs sixth, Arsenal seventh, Bournemouth eighth, Sheffield ninth, Palace tenth, Everton 11, Leicester 12, Wolves 13, Newcastle 14, Villa 15, Norwich 16, Southampton 17. You got to keep waiting. I'm not to Chelsea yet. Uh, 18, Watford, 19, Chelsea, and the bottom of the barrel, West Ham United in 20th because they lost 5 nothing instead of 4 nothing. So appreciate them taking that one for us. But uh, that's it. That That's going to wrap us up for this one. Mike Ryan, huge thank you for jumping on. It is good to keep our energy going since we last hung out in Boston. Yeah, it's always great hopping out with you guys. And I can't say enough good things about this podcast. It's the most rational, level-headed Chelsea analysis out there. And you guys really do a wonderful job of opening my eyes because when you're in a pub watching with your friends, it's hard to catch every detail. And you guys are so well-prepared for everything uh, that you guys cover. And I can't uh, be happy enough to be so tangentially associated and affiliated with you guys. You guys do such a great job. Well, obviously we really appreciate that and love everything you're up to these days as well. And we'll continue to support each other. We can promise that Dan, thank you for showing up and repping the London is blue with me. Of course, uh, It's always needed to have at least two of us here to argue. 
Well, what we should celebrate <laughs> is the fact that the U18s and the Chelsea Dev Squad both earned victories this weekend to start their season. The Dev Squad uh, won, and the U18s, both winners this weekend. So out of the three Chelsea teams in competition this weekend, two out of three loss, uh, three, two out of three won, only one loss. So that is something to take solace in because the future at the academy is always very, very bright, and it's all about now taking it and transitioning it into the first team appropriately. Shut up, Dan. I <laughs> <laughs> love it. The the one everybody was watching lost 4-0. Yeah, yeah. yeah there were no, there were no streams for the other games. The right? I don't need to hear about that. I'm going to train for watching a lot of the UATs. <laughs> yeah. I'll tell you what. That, uh, you know, you, you, yeah. I, I really hope we get January. I mean, you talk about it. United spent 130, which is 130 million pounds, which is what we raised off player sales this summer on uh, center back. And a right back. Uh, that is a scary world to live in when that's that's what the going rates are for some of those things. But, it's all about the Mbappe fund. All right. Kylian Mbappe, Chelsea in 2020. All right. That's a wrap, Chelsea fans. Thank you, the listener, for hanging out with us. You are the best part about this. Hit us up on social media, Discord if you're involved in the Patreon, and we will keep the discussion going. Group therapy is in session. So until next time, Chelsea fans, you know what to do? Keep the blue flag flying high.